You know, I love that. Uh, what was it uniquely wired and wonderfully made? You know, that's, that's who we are. We are all uniquely wired, and we are all wonderfully made. Uh, we are all different uh, than one another. And as much as uh, from, you know, from time to time, I kind of wish everybody were like me because I think the world would be a lot easier, but it'd be a lot more boring. You know, it'd be a lot duller. It would not be uh, the place that it is if everybody looked the same, if we were just a bunch of clones. And those differences are, are something that uh, we ought to celebrate. We ought to be excited about the differences uh, that we have from one another. The problem is that sometimes we get so focused on the differences that we have that we lose sight of what we have in common. And what we end up doing is uh, mistreating one another and focusing so much on our differences that we uh, hurt each other and that we look down on one another and we think of ourselves as superior uh, to one another. And that's not the way that God intended it to be. And that's not the way that it has to be because I think that God has something better for us. Back in uh, 1964, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, gave a speech on what he called the American dream. This is not to be confused with his I have a dream speech. The American dream speech, he actually gave about five miles away from here at uh, Drew University. I didn't realize that uh, until this week when I was researching it a little bit. And in that speech, uh, Dr. King said that the substance of the American dream is expressed in some very familiar words that we find in the Declaration of Independence. And you're probably familiar with these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And Dr. King was, was speaking to an audience uh, in the north. And he referenced him having left the south to come up north to visit with some friends. And he was invited to speak at Drew University. And of course, if you're familiar with the 60s, that was the time when there was a lot of racial tension and racial strife and, and all of that uh, that was going on in the 1960s. And so Dr. King was appealing to the Declaration of Independence and saying, the American dream is that each of us would be able to live his or her life pursuing happiness, pursuing life, and enjoying that regardless of the color of our skin. And that was the, the issue that he was dealing with in, in that day. And about a year and a half later, uh, he was asked to speak at the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And as he was riding, he was in Washington, D.C. at the time, and he was gonna be flying down to Atlanta. And as he was riding uh, in his car, on his way to the airport, he passed by the Jefferson Memorial and one of his aides turned to him and they said, Dr. King, isn't it interesting that on this day, the 4th of July, we're passing by the Jefferson Memorial. And Dr. King had been planning on speaking on a completely different topic when he got down to Atlanta, but he realized it's the 4th of July, I need to speak about the freedom that we ought to have and about who we are as human beings and this idea of the American dream. So I wonder if he pulled out of his, you know, his laptop, I guess they didn't have laptops back then, but I wonder if he pulled out in his mind this American dream speech that he had given here at Drew University and then he transferred it to a different context, but the same basic truth when he was at the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And he did something just a little bit different than he did up at Drew. He added something and he talked about the foundation for this idea that each of us as human beings 
are equal in the sense that we have intrinsic and infinite worth as human beings. And he talked about the source of that idea. He said, you see, the founding fathers were really influenced by the Bible. The whole concept of the imago dei, as it is expressed in Latin, or the image of God, is the idea that all men have something within them that God injected. Not that they have substantial unity with God, but that every man has a capacity to have fellowship with God. And this gives him a uniqueness. It gives him worth. It gives him dignity. And we must never forget this as a nation. There are no gradations in the image of God. Every man from a treble white to a bass black is significant on God's keyboard precisely because every man is made in the image of God. One day, King said, we will learn that. We will know one day that God made us to live together as brothers and to respect the dignity and the worth of every man. And here we are 50 some odd years later. And while we aren't dealing with the same kind of institutionalized or the same level of institutionalized racism that Dr. King and others were dealing with back in the 1960s and, and even for decades before that, we're still dealing with many of the same challenges. We still face the challenges of, of racial tensions. We still have political strife, the division between conservative and liberal, Republican and Democrat, Tea Party, Libertarian, you name it. We still face some of the same issues. We still have socioeconomic strife, the rich versus the poor, the haves versus the have-nots. We still face the challenges of how to treat people with disabilities. Just because someone is physically disabled, does that mean that they are of less value than the rest of us who are not disabled? What about those who are aging? Or what about the very, very young who can't contribute anything immediately to society? What about people whose health, whether it's physical or mental, is declining, who are struggling in different ways like that? We still fall prey to the temptation to attack and to demonize and even to dehumanize people with whom we disagree or people who are different than us. She looks different than I do, and so she is less valuable than I am. Really? But yet we do that day after day after day. Just look at your Facebook feed. You know, this fall, I found a, a, an app that I could put in my browser, and it was able to remove all of the political posts. And so now I see like about three posts a day, and they're about what somebody had for breakfast and what vacation they went on and what their kid's doing in school. And you know what? My blood pressure is so much lower than it was with all of that stuff out there. But this is what we do. We look at people who are different than we are, and we say in some sense they are inferior to us just because they're different. And we do that some ways to make ourselves feel better about ourselves because we get our value by comparing ourselves to one another. But God says, no, that's not the way I designed it to be. It doesn't have to be that way. And Dr. King appealed to this idea of the image of God in all of humanity. And it comes from the Bible. It comes from the opening chapter of the first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 begins with these words, in the beginning, God created 
the heavens and the earth. He's, it's setting up God as the main character of the Bible. And the narrative goes on to talk about God creating the land and the oceans and the sky. And he created the sun and the moon and the stars. And he created all the plants. He created the birds. He created the fish. He created all sorts of animals. And if you have ever read through the opening chapter of Genesis, you may have noticed that there's a pattern that goes on as God describes the way in which he created uh, all the different living things. And I want to hit just a few verses so that you can begin to see this pattern. Verse 11, then God said that the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. So verse 21, so God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then down in verse 25, God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds and all the creatures that move on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. God created everything according to its kind. Cats look like cats. Dogs look like dogs. Cows look like cows. Horses look like horses. Unless I'm drawing it, in which case they all kind of look the same because cats, basically, if you've ever seen any of my drawings, cats have pointy ears. Dogs have a long tail. Pig's tail, that's curly. That's what distinguishes it from the dog because you couldn't tell otherwise and so on. It basically looks like the drawings that a six-year-old will do, except that that's kind of insulting to the six-year-old in that sense. A six-year-old, actually a three-year-old, can tell the difference between a dog and a cat and a cow and a pig. A three-year-old can look at a lion and say, kitty cat, because it knows that there is a relationship that a lion and a house cat have because they are patterned after the same kind. So God created each of the animals according to its kind. And then after God had created everything else, he created humanity because he saved the best for last. We as human beings are the pinnacle of God's creation. And watch what he says about us. Verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Cats look like cats. Dogs look like dogs. And we, we look like God. And that is an incredible concept. Cats have a kind. Dogs have a kind. And we have a kind too. But our kind is God. And that's where our value comes from. That's where our worth comes from. Because we look like God. In some sense, we are God's self-portrait. When people look at us, they get an idea of what God is like. When God had finished creating everything else, the last thing he did was paint himself into the, into the picture, into the world, so that the world would be able to see something 
of what he's like. And that's who we are. That's our role. That's our responsibility. It's also our privilege as human beings. God is love. And so when we love others, we're showing them what God is like. God is a moral being. And so when we fight for what is good and just and right, we're displaying the image of God to the people around us. God is creative, and all of us exercise creativity. Some exercise it in, in the form of music. Some exercise it in the form of art. Others exercise it as engineers or as teachers or as moms or as dads or as soccer coaches or as whatever it is. We all exercise creativity in different ways. And as we do that, we look like God because he's the infinitely creative God who created all of us with our creativity. God's compassionate. So when we show care for those who are hurting, for those who are needy, for those who are broken, for those who are disabled, for those who are different than we are, we are expressing the image of God. We are bearing witness to the compassion of our creator. God is authoritative, and he delegated some of his authority to us. He said to us, we're supposed to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. We're supposed to care for the earth and for the plants and for the animals that God created. And so when we care for the earth, when we care for the animals, not when we abuse them, but when we care for them, we are acting as God's representatives on this earth. We are acting as his image bearers, and we are representing God to the rest of creation. And the, the, the fact that we are created in the image of God, that we bear that image, and we project and represent that image, that's where our value comes from. Our worth doesn't depend on the color of our skin. It doesn't depend on how much money we make. It doesn't depend on the size of our house or the neighborhood in which we live or the shape of our body or the college that we went to or the number of friends that we have on Facebook. It doesn't depend on the opinions that other people have of us. It depends only on one opinion, and that is the opinion of the creator of the universe. And his opinion is, I made you to look like me, and therefore you are valuable in my sight, regardless of what you look like, regardless of your abilities or your disabilities, regardless of anything else, you are valuable in my sight because you are my self-portrait, God says. And we, as human beings, have a unique connection with God that no other created being in the entire universe has. Why? Because we are the only beings whom he created in his image. We are the only beings whom he created to look like him. Humanity and divinity are inextricably linked with one another, and that is the ultimate sense the ultimate source of our value. So we all, all of us, look like God, yet all of us are different. And that's because God is infinite and we are finite. God has an infinite number of facets and characteristics. We have a finite number. No one of us is capable of imaging God 
completely because otherwise we would be God and we are not. And we always need to remember that. And those differences ought to be celebrated because if we look at one person, we see just a little bit of what God is like. But if we look at two, we see more and three and four and five. And if we look at all of us together, we get a much better picture of what God is like than if we only looked at one of us. And that's why all of us are different. And that's why we should be celebrating those differences. But the problem is that sometimes we forget that our differences display the greatness of an infinite God and we begin to compare ourselves to one another rather than comparing ourselves to God and asking the question, how can I image God better? We, we look at one another and we say, I am better than she is. I am more whatever it is than he is. And we begin to look down on one another because we're forgetting to look up to God. And then we treat each other in ways that God never intended for us to treat one another. And the other problem that we run into is that we forget that the image of God in us is tarnished, it's broken, it's damaged. We, day after day after day, sin. We do things that are wrong. We try in some ways to live independently of God, which God never intended for us to do. He intended us to see him as our source of life and goodness and everything that we need. But sometimes we turn our backs on him and then rather than looking to him, we look to ourselves or the, the people around us and he never intended for us to do that. And as a result, the image of God in, in us is tarnished. And so we look at that and we see that in other people. We see their brokenness, we see their fallenness, and we forget that we're just the same as they are. Okay, my brokenness may be different than your brokenness, but I'm just as broken, I'm just as fallen, I'm just as sinful as you are, and if I remember that, then I'm gonna be a whole lot more gracious to you because we are all the same in God's eyes. We're people whom he created to look like him that image is damaged, and yet he still loves us because he created us to look like him. We all love, but none of us loves perfectly. We all are creative, but sometimes we use that creativity uh, to do evil rather than to do good. We all want justice, but our concept of what's good and right and just doesn't always correspond with God's concept of what, good, what is good and right and just. None of us fully lives up to our potential as image bearers. And that's because the image of God in us has been damaged. And so when we forget that our fellow human beings and we as well are broken, we begin to treat each other in ways that God never intended. The apostle James puts it this way. He says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth come praising and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. This morning, we sang praise to God about how great and awesome and majestic and glorious he is. And I guarantee that on the way home, if someone cuts us off, some of us are not gonna be saying, oh, what a beautiful, wonderful image bearer they are. We're gonna be using other words and other concepts to describe them. Why? Because they're broken and because we're broken. 
because we're all image bearers, we should treat each other with respect, with compassion, with kindness and gentleness. But because the image of God in us is damaged, we don't always honor that image in other people. And God isn't happy about that because we are effectively dishonoring his self-portrait. If you have a picture of yourself that isn't perfect, it's still a picture of you and it has value to you because it is a picture of you. And if you handed it to me to look at, and I said, let me see if I can improve on that. And I pull out a Sharpie and I add a little mustache or you know, a couple of other features here and there. You're gonna be upset because I'm messing with your picture of you. It's your picture. It represents you and it's not my right or my responsibility to mess with that picture. When we mess with each other, what are we doing? We're messing with God's picture of himself. And that's why he doesn't want us doing that. That's exactly what we do when we mistreat one another. But, but rather than rejecting us, rather than saying, you're broken, forget it. I'm going to throw you on the trash heap. God says, I'm going to do something about it. And that's why he sent his son, Jesus, to die in our place as part of his plan to clean up the image in us that we damage. And in fact, Scripture speaks about Jesus as being the image of God. He's not created. He's not created in the image of God. He exists eternally as the image of God. So when we look at him, we see more and more and more of what God is like than any one of us or all of us together could possibly show to the world around us. And so God has launched his cosmic plan of cleaning us up, of restoring that broken image to its original glory. And he's in the process of doing that in our lives right now. And the Apostle Paul talks about this in a letter that he wrote to the church at, at Corinth. He says, and, excuse me, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul is saying that God is transforming you. He's transforming me into his image. He's working in us to change us so that we can look more and more and more like him. And our part in the process is to focus on him. He says we are to contemplate the Lord's glory. We're to look at him and see how amazing, how awesome, how loving, how gracious, how kind, how forgiving, how compassionate, how creative, how authoritative, how powerful, how intelligent, how on and on and on, how awesome and great and glorious God is. And as we contemplate his glory, Paul says we're going to be transformed into his image. So the more we look at God, the more we will look like God. And that's why we worship him. That's why we sing about him. That's why we talk about him. That's why we read scripture. We do all of those things so that we can get a better idea of who God is. So when we're reading the Bible, we're not just flipping page after page, letting our eyes go on it, or just gathering some basic information. We need to be asking ourselves questions. We need to be asking questions of the text itself and saying, what is it showing me about God? As I read Genesis chapter one, what do I learn about what God is like? What do I learn about myself? How ought I to bear his image based on what he is described as in Genesis chapter one? 
or John chapter 1, or Romans chapter 1, or whatever passage of Scripture you happen to be reading. As we read Scripture, as we worship Him, as we sing about Him, as we talk about Him, we're to be constantly contemplating His greatness and His power, His awesomeness and His glory. Because when we do those things, we will see God better. And the better we see Him, the more accurately the world will see Him in us. I want you to imagine for a minute. Imagine what it would be like if all of us saw ourselves and one another as people who were created in the image of God, that our primary identity is image bearers of the infinite and glorious and awesome God. We wouldn't see the color of each other's skin. We wouldn't see the neighborhoods that we each live in. We wouldn't see one another's political views. We wouldn't see one another's gender. We wouldn't see one another's race. We wouldn't see one another's superficial characteristics because none of those things define who we are. We are defined by our relationship to our Creator. What we would see if we saw one another that way is the imprint of our Creator on one another's lives. We'd see the gifts that God gave each of us. We would see the character that He's forming in us because that character would more and more be corresponding to God's character. We would see the love that God has shown one another. We would see that in spite of our brokenness, God loves us, God loves me, and God loves you. Not because we deserve it, but because that's the kind of God whom he is. And when we see that in ourselves and in one another, if we see the way that God looks at us and looks at one another, we would be transformed in more and more and more. We would love each other that way. If we saw ourselves as people who are supposed to look like God, we'd, see our, we'd want to be people who more and more would act like God. And if we acted more like God, we'd treat the people around us with the same kind of love and respect and dignity and honor that God shows us. And if we valued one another the way that God values us, we would celebrate our diversity and our differences because we'd know that they show us more of the greatness of our amazing God. And our God is awesome, and He is amazing. And the more that we look at Him, the more that we see Him, the more that we contemplate His glory, the more we will become like Him. And the more we become like Him, the more we'll treat others the way He intended us to treat one another, which is as His infinitely valuable and glorious image bearers. And that is who we are as human beings. And that is the way that God wants us to live our lives, representing him to the world, bearing his image so that others can see him in us and treating one another with the value and dignity that each of us deserve as image bearers of that incredible, awesome, and glorious God. Let's pray together. Father, it's amazing to think that you created us to represent yourself, that we are of infinite value because you are an infinitely valuable and glorious God. 
And Father, uh, I ask for your forgiveness for myself and for others here as we so often forget that and we look at one another and, and treat each other as inferior and uh, hurt one another and disrespect one another and don't treat one another the way that you would have us do that. And so, Father, I thank you as well uh, that you love us and that you're working in us to clean up that tarnished and that broken image in us so that we could become more and more like yourself. And I pray that we would make the effort to look to you, to look at you, to contemplate your glory and your greatness. And as we do, I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts to change us to become more and more and more like yourself. And as we do that, I pray that we would show one another the kind of love and respect and honor that you want us to have for each other because we bear your image. And we pray in all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.